The reading this evening will be from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10, which is page 1168 of the Church Bibles. That's page 1168 of the Church Bibles. So beginning at verse 1, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by, ma by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am, astonished, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Amen. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Good evening. This is the story of Martha, a young Israelite girl at the time of the Exodus. Slavery was all she knew, just like her parents, her grandparents, and their parents before them. Cruel masters dictated every part of her reality. Long days of labor were just normal, and the threat of the whip was never far away. But Martha gazed on as the mighty God brought about a miraculous rescue. While on her duties in the palace, she overheard Moses deliver God's word to Pharaoh, let my people go. She was a bit grossed out by the frogs and the flies. She was scared by the darkness, and she was a bit confused by the lamb's blood on the doorposts. But after all those plagues, one thing was clear. She was leaving Egypt. The Israelites marched out of Egypt carrying gold and silver given to them by uh, their neighbors. They laughed and danced. They worshipped. But after a few days, Martha's parents started to get a little bit worried about their daughter. Instead of wearing the colorful dress that her mum had made, Martha just wanted to wear her old, gray, tattered slave garment. And instead of playing with all the other children, Martha just wanted to go off on her own and make bricks out of clay. So her father went out to her and uh, she, he sat down next to her in her pile of drying bricks. Martha, my child, you are free. Why are you living like a slave? We're studying Galatians because it is oh so easy for us to be Martha. Christian, you are free. Why are you still living like a slave? 
when you can't shake that feeling that God is more of a slave master than father, you need Galatians. When you can't find the strength to throw off old sins, old ways of doing things, you need Galatians. If you want to see real growth, obedience, and joy in your Christian life, you need Galatians. This letter helps us to live in freedom rather than slavery, because from start to finish, it's all about the gospel. Our Father knows that we need to be constantly reminded of the good news of Jesus. There are so many other gospels out there, modified gospels, augmented gospels that put a spin on Jesus' words or add to what God requires. But that thinking is catastrophically wrong and sends us straight back to Egypt. If we want to live in the freedom that is ours in Christ, we need to really get the gospel. And that's what we're going to see over uh, this term while we're studying this letter. I will come back to Martha, but that's going to be in about eight weeks' time. So you're going to have to really log her in your mind. Even from the outset, we're going to see that it's the true gospel or no gospel at all. If we want to be free, it's the true gospel or no gospel at all. Uh, Those were our, our points for this evening. The true gospel. Paul probably penned this letter in about the year AD 50 to churches that he planted on his first missionary journey. If you want to read about those churches, Pisidian, Antioch, um, Lystra, Iconium, Derby, or Derby, I don't really know how to pronounce that. Uh, it's in Acts chapter 13 and 14. You can read that in your own time. He really had great affection for these churches in Galatia. And in the first five verses of this letter, Paul really wants to remind them of the true gospel. Um, yes, you might say that in these first five verses, he's, he's really just saying hi um, and, uh, and wishing them well. But even as he's doing that in the introduction, he's dropping in hints of what's going to follow. This is the true gospel, the only genuine good news. Now, some people might say we've um, got off to a rather bigoted start. People don't like um, the true gospel. They want to say, um, my truth or your truth. To postmodern ears, it sounds terribly exclusive to speak of the only genuine good news. But, But Paul's really unapologetic about that throughout this letter. What gives him the authority to make this claim? Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Apostle means sent one. And um, our ministers, our elders here, have a kind of sending here by God. But we were appointed by human beings as well, Um, the CCB leadership team with the support of the congregation. The authority of the apostles was far, far higher because they were appointed, sent directly by God the Father and Jesus Christ, as we read here. There was no committee. There was no vote. They were appointed directly by Jesus Christ and God the Father. And this is why Paul can speak of the true gospel, the only genuine good news. He's not writing down his truth. This is God's truth. 
And that does mean we have to pay attention. Um, when I'm preaching, you can kind of take some, leave some. Um, that's fine, uh, because I might not necessarily be 100% true to the Bible. I'll try to be, but I'm not perfect. However, when it comes to what Paul says in this letter, we can't take what we like and leave what we don't. All of it is from God, and we have to pay the highest attention to that, even when we don't like it. After highlighting that what he's about to say comes from God, Paul is going to remind his readers of the gospel. Again, he's introducing himself, he's greeting them, he's wishing them well, but he's dropping in, this is the true gospel, as he does so. This isn't the only accurate summary of the gospel, but it is a good one, and we're going to get a few uh, mini-subtitles coming up on the screen. Point one, we need to be rescued. We need to be rescued. We're not students that just need to be taught. We're sinners in desperate need of being rescued. Galatians starts with the present evil age. You can see that in verse 4. And Galatians ends with new creation. These are two worlds which are held in really stark contrast. This present age is the one we're all born in. It's an age of sin. It's an age of evil. It's an age of death. And we're all stuck in it like quicksand, sinking deeper and deeper and deeper until we're lost forever. We can't get ourselves out, as we sang in that song. Who, O oh Lord, could save themselves? There are plenty of um, self-help podcasts, aren't they, about eating better or sleeping better or being more productive. And those might be fine, but they're not going to save you. They're not going to rescue you. None of these will address our real problem. We need to be rescued. Point two of the true gospel. Jesus gave himself for our sins. Again, in verse four. This is how we were rescued. Giving himself highlights Jesus' outrageous generosity. He gave up his place in heaven to come to earth. He gave up his glory to become a man. He gave his time, his efforts, his heart. And finally, he gave up his life on the cross. And notice that verse 4 says this was for our sins. He was our substitute. He paid the penalty that our sins deserve. He paid the penalty for the wrong we have done. He sunk down to the bottom of this present evil age so that he might lift us up out of that dreadful quicksand. But he didn't stay there. This is point three of the true gospel. We see in verse uh, one, God the Father raised him from the dead. The resurrection was the Father's yes to Jesus' sacrifice. Yes, the debt of sin is paid. Yes, the power of debt, uh, death is broken. Yes, the age of new creation has begun. Yes, all who believe in him will be raised too. And final points of this summary of the true gospel. He gives us grace and peace. The blessing in verse 3, it could be read as just a kind of Christianized version of common greetings at the time, on the surface anyway. But given what's going on in the rest of the letter, it's hard not to read this greeting as a reminder of two fundamental, essential realities of the true gospel. Grace, 
It's undeserved favor. It's a gift. It's G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And peace. Not just a calm absence of anxiety, as good as that is, but peace, the great Old Testament hope of shalom. Um, Shalom is a new age where everything is in its right place, everything as it ought to be. Um, If you like Lego, you know what shalom is. Um, It's where all the pieces are exactly where they're supposed to fit together, just as they were designed to, to fit on the box. That is peace. That is shalom. And that is what we get in the gospel. This is the true gospel. And notice, these are all things that God does. He dies. He rescues. He raises. He gives. God gets the glory because he did absolutely everything in the gospel. He didn't do half the work. He didn't kind of lift us halfway out of the quicksand, then throw us a rope and say, okay, now pull yourself out. The cross is uniquely and decisively enough to rescue us. This is such good news. There's, um, there's a scene in one of my favorite movies called The Guardian. Um, it's not the newspaper, it's about lifeguards. And a lifeguard drops down from a helicopter to save someone from stormy waters. This civilian is really panicking and uh, flailing around. Um, He's desperately trying to keep his own head above water. And these wild movements are not helping him one bit. The lifeguard, uh, oh actually, he's, he's, he's so desperate that he even forces his rescuer down under the water in order to keep his head up. The lifeguard can't actually rescue him while he's doing all this wild, panicky movement. So the lifeguard has no choice. Bash! Straight in the civilian's uh, face. Bloody nose, um, goes limp, now can be rescued. And I'm really not saying that Jesus is going to elbow you in the nose. But God might use humbling life circumstances to help you realize that you can't add anything to your rescue. You need to stop flailing. You need to stop trying to prove yourself to God. You need to throw yourself into the merciful arms of your rescuer. That's um, showing faith. That's showing faith in Jesus. It's the sort of faith that is brave enough to change your pronouns. I don't mean it in that way. Grace and peace to me from God, my Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for my sins to rescue me from this present evil age. Can you say that? This is the true gospel. And it's the true gospel or no gospel at all. Here's our second point. Let's continue Paul's opening from verse 5. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. Oh. Uh, No, you don't have the wrong version. I've just added that in from Ephesians to let you know what's missing. 
Um, Every single letter of Paul starts uh, in a very similar pattern. This is who I am. This is who you are. I give thanks because dot, dot, dot. They all seem to start that way, but not this one. This time the message is so urgent that Paul doesn't even have time to think of anything he's thankful for in this church. Maybe he can't think of anything he's thankful for. He gets straight to the point. There's something else missing as well. Normally he addresses his readers as God's holy people or something like those sanctified in Christ Jesus. But how does he address these people? To the churches in Galatia. It's like he's using as little ink as possible. Don't mistake this for coldness. He's really, um, these are some of the first churches he planted, so he's really affectionate for them. But this is urgent, loving bluntness because the issue is so, so important. It's like he sees his children heading towards a busy street. He's not messing around with pleasantries, straight into it. Verse 6 I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul's tone is so different to every single, every other letter that he writes. He's shocked. He might even be angry. You can imagine smudged ink and spilled, uh, the spilled bottle of ink uh, because he's writing so quickly at this point. As we go through the letter of Galatians this term, this different gospel is going to show itself. But I think it'll be really useful for us to know what it is right from the start. So here's the outset. Here's kind of context around Galatians. Remember, I said it was written probably AD 50-ish. So we're really only in the second decade since Jesus' resurrection. This new religion has emerged out of Judaism but it's still closely tied with Judaism, partly because maybe about half of the Christians are from that background. The Jewish leaders at the time, they see this new way as a threat. So they're persecuting Christians, trying to take out their leaders. And out of this setting emerges a group of um, agitators, troublemakers, false teachers, whatever you want to call them. They arise in Jerusalem, and they don't want to be persecuted by the Jewish authorities. They want to somehow please those leaders and follow Jesus. Their solution is this kind of really inventive spin. They want to show that the gospel isn't turning Jews into Christians. That's not the story at all. That would be bad news for Jerusalem. No, their gospel is turning Gentiles into Jews. Good news for Jerusalem or the leaders there anyway. So maybe the authorities will be pleased with them now. Maybe they'll be able to avoid persecution for the cross of Christ entirely. And this group, they head out into Galatia with their different gospel to the churches that Paul planted. And this is what they say. Yes, of course we believe the gospel. We believe you're right with God by grace through faith. That's wonderful. What a good way to start the Christian life. And then as we see through the letter, they're going to add another way to continue and complete the Christian life. 
Yes, faith was how you got in, but now you've got to add circumcision. Yes, grace was the start, but what's next are some Jewish dietary laws. Yes, the gospel is the ABC of Christianity, but the D to Z, that's the law of Moses. Here's what their message boils down to. Here's the overreduced, burnt, sticky substance at the bottom of their heresy pan, heresy pan. Start by grace, finish by law. Start by grace, finish by law. It's gospel plus. That was their different gospel. And sadly, it's still very much alive today. Not just out there, but in here, in our own lives. Maybe not necessarily in what we say, but I think in what we do. I'll save some more specific examples for at the very end. But haven't you noticed a tendency to think that the gospel is what non-Christians need? Have you noticed that? It's easy to think that the gospel is a set of ABC doctrines that get you in, but now we're in. Surely we should be moving on to deeper truths, the D to Z of Christianity. But what is Paul's verdict in these verses on this different gospel? Three things. One, it's desertion. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting. Um, Paul uses the term for soldiers who abandon their unit just before battle. It's a really serious betrayal. And notice that they're not just deserting a set of beliefs. They're deserting God himself. Deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. It's desertion, this gospel plus. Um, two, second verdict. It's no gospel at all. It's no gospel at all. Verse 7. Um, by the normal rules of maths, when you add something to something else, you'd expect to have more at the end of the process. Please don't tell me the exceptions afterwards. I don't want to talk about maths. But in gospel mathematics, when you add something, you end up with much less. As soon as you say, for God to accept me, I need the grace of Christ and dot, 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 it's an utter reversal that is no gospel at all. And third verdict, it leads to God's curse. Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted... Let them be under God's curse. These agitators who've come along to disturb them, throw them into confusion, they are not to be tolerated. They're not to sort of be put off to one corner um, to kind of listen to and then think, oh, don't worry, we can, we can listen to the better teachers next week. They, they are cursed. And it's not just the teachers as well. Um, later on in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, we're going to see that everyone who follows their teaching is under God's curse as well. 
that curse that first cropped up in the Garden of Eden, thorns everywhere. Um, imagine those thorns just slowly going up your body, really digging into your skin. That is what happens to someone who listens to this different gospel, this gospel plus, this start by grace, finish by law. This different gospel is desertion, it's no gospel at all, and it leads to God's curse. The message is absolutely clear. Stick to the true gospel and never add anything to it. When the true gospel is so gloriously gracious, why would we ever want to turn away from it? Why? When might we fall into the trap of gospel plus? How might we be in danger of preaching start by grace, finish by law? If we have fallen into sin, or maybe we have started making sin a habit, that can cause us to, start, to stop praying. Our sense of shame and guilt can make us look down and not even dare look up to heaven just in case we see an unwelcoming, frowning God looking down on us. If that's you, you're preaching gospel plus to yourself. Come back to the true gospel. Your present acceptance before God is not based on the gospel plus your obedience. There is nothing you can do to make your God love you any less. Starving yourself of God's presence until you're more obedient is not an effective method of transformation. That's gospel plus. Um, second example when we fail to reject false teachers because we want to be tolerant, it's easy to let agitators through the door. It's a lot harder to get rid of them once they've thrown you into a theological confusion. Well, they're decent people, we might say. I heard them explain the gospel really well a few years ago. That's not enough. They might be able to explain the grace of Christ, but what else are they saying? What else are they doing that might undermine the grace of Christ, the gospel? Shut the book, change the channel, don't go to the event. You need to know the gospel really well to be able to discern this. Galatians is really going to help with that, upping our discernment so that we can tell when people are really preaching the gospel or not. Third example of where we might be preaching gospel plus or preaching start by grace finished by law. Whenever we adopt an in-crowd mentality in church, whenever we start forming cliques, um, who are the people that I'm going to hang out with? Well, um, I want to sort of surround myself with people that believe the gospel and people who are my age. Or I want to spend time with people who believe the gospel and are from the same social background as me or and like the same music as me, or and dress a certain way, and go to the same sort of church as me. That is adding to the gospel when we say, in order to be part of the in crowd, you have to believe the gospel and something else. 
It's gospel plus. And we're going to see over the coming weeks just how destructive that is. Galatians blasts gospel plus into nothingness. Tim Keller says, In this short letter, Paul outlines the bombshell truth that the gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. It's not only the way to enter the kingdom, it's the way to live as part of the kingdom. It's the way Christ transforms people, churches, and communities. The gospel is not just ABC, it's A to Z. It's what we need every single day of our Christian life, not just right at the start, but all the way until we are taken to glory. It's what we need to transform us. It's what we need to live a joyful life. There is no kind of extra level that we need to get to. And I'm so excited that we get to spend the whole term in Galatians learning more and more about this precious gospel. The true gospel or no gospel. That is the only path to enjoy the freedom that is ours in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this letter. Uh, Yes, to those churches in Galatia, but, but also to us. Father, thank you for this warning. Please reveal in our hearts where we might be tolerating this sort of attitude of the grace of Christ and something else. Thank you that the true gospel means that we are absolutely accepted in your sight, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus Christ, our Savior, has done. Please help us to Rest in that and enjoy the freedom that comes with this gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.